Let's make our way back to our chairs, church family. Good morning. It's good to be here with you all. Man, I almost lost my, my voice singing this morning. I was mad. Anybody, have you guys with me on that? And then, man, I, I heard you, man. This was a beautiful time. Worship team, as always, thank you for your service to, to the church, to Jesus Christ. Uh, grateful for you all. Hey, welcome, everyone. Welcome. Um, it's always nice to be back together. Uh, I've been off the couple of last two weeks from preaching, and, um, and the, the two people in my place almost took my job, man. These brothers were tearing it up. Shout out to Josh Phillips and uh, Pastor Jeremy. Man, y'all appreciate their ministry the last two weeks. And then I show up to the prayer meeting, and Angelica tries to take my job because she's running this prayer meeting all great about it. And, and then we have people doing devotions, teaching there. I was like, man, I'm just, I'm just showing up. That is good. Man, Amen. the gifts in this room right now are, are through the roof because God's Spirit lives in His people. And, um, and you, empowered by God's Spirit, can do mighty things. And I, I've been personally, personally ministered to um, by you guys the past two weeks. Um, I know I needed it. In fact, after Pastor Jeremy preached last Sunday, I was like, man, I, I probably could use one more, bro. We could use one more. So thankful for you all, man. It's been good. I'm excited about the, the ladies and men's nights coming up. Um, we know that, that as a community, we just need to get together. Um, brothers, we need to get together, right, man? Um, I know the ladies feel the same way. Uh, I do want to add for the ladies' night, um, you can bring a, a refreshments as well, a savory or sweet snack, something like that. Um, men will take the leftovers for whatever they don't eat, right? So bring as much as you want, ladies. We will have at it. Yes. Today we are starting a, a new mini-series on the generous life. We're going to talk about money, family. And I know I made some of y'all really anxious right now just saying that, okay? Um, you know, honestly, we are now all, it's about just over six years into the brook. We started in 2013. And um, one thing that we've always been sensitive to is the fact that many people have had different kinds of associations with the church and money. And a lot of those associations haven't been the best. Um, some of us have been scarred by things we've heard things we've seen, and maybe things we've experienced ourselves when it comes to money in the church. There's no shortage of examples in American culture of people who use the pulpit to make it a means for gain. There's no shortage of examples. And so some of you might have fallen prey to some of that, where people have manipulated you to get your money. Then there's others, maybe who've heard right teaching but have been guilted in ways that God didn't intend there to be, and there's some wound with that. And others of you just don't want to hear about it because you like your money, right? This, this is the spectrum we're at. But you know, back in 2001, God made it clear to me that he was calling me to become a pastor. I was two years into college, and that, that calling became very clear. I became a pastor in 2008 as an associate at a church. And from the time I was installed as a pastor... I have a responsibility, and that's to shepherd God's people. Now, make no mistake, I want to introduce you to the, to the main pastor in this church, and his name is Jesus. We work underneath him. 
But as his under-shepherd, I've got a responsibility, and we as a pastoral team, as our elders, to shepherd well. Shepherds feed their sheep. Shepherds correct their sheep. Shepherds lead their sheep. They protect their sheep. And you know, one thing is true in all of us is that money influences our lives. No exceptions in this room. I would be an irresponsible pastor if I didn't talk about money. I I came to this realization. So on the one hand, we want to be really sensitive. On the other hand, it's kind of like, man, money, money plays a major role. In fact... Randy Alcorn, who's an author of the book called The Treasure Principle, says that 15% of Jesus' teachings were about money. Let's think about that. 15% of everything Jesus taught was about money. He told a story of a rich young ruler. He told a story of a guy named Zacchaeus who had cheated people. He told a story of these different soils and how one person heard the good news of Jesus, but because of the riches of this world, they fell away. Jesus constantly talks about money. In fact, Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined. Why is that the case? Well, Elkhorn says there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We may separate our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. And so like, man, how in, how in the world are our finances and our faith inseparable? Well, here's the truth. The tighter you hold on to money, the tighter you hold on to misery. The tighter you hold on to heaven, the looser you hold on to earth. And so as we who are followers of Jesus pursue Jesus, things on this earth need to fall in their rightful place. And so this is our aim over the next four weeks. I'm actually pretty excited about it. I'm not going to lie. A lot can be said about money. A lot. But here's what we're going to start on. Today, we're going to talk about getting the right perspective on money. The right perspective. Just understanding it. Next week, we're going to talk about the basis of generosity, which is ultimately in God's generosity. By the way, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday. All right, so we got six people entering the waters of baptism next week. That's going to be pretty exciting. And we're going to hear how Jesus himself is the expression of God's generosity toward us. Then we're going to talk about what radical generosity looks like. We're going to look at a, a wild passage in Scripture where God's people were so abundant in generosity, it was like craziness, okay? And then we'll talk about some guideposts for generosity. See, the beautiful thing about money in the Bible, it's not about how much you make. I know some of us here today are in a really difficult place financially. I know some of you are unemployed and have been so for a while, and you're just struggling. Many of you are underemployed. You're working crazy hours just to make ends meet. Some of you are in a lot of debt, sometimes from medical bills. Sometimes by bad purchases you've made. School debt. I should get an amen on the school debt one, right? Come on, yeah. With you on that one. Uh, others uh, here might be doing well financially. See, when God talks about money, though, it's not about percentages so much so as it is about your heart. And he gives examples, model examples of people to aspire to who are quite poor in the Bible, as well as those who are wealthy. So it's not about your financial state, but it is about the state of your heart. And this is what we're going to get at today as we look at the right perspective for giving. Would you meet me in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6? Verses 3 through 17. 
That's on page 993 in the blue Bible in the chair in front of you. We sound like a broken record, but we mean it every time we say it each Sunday. If you don't have a Bible, what, church? Take the one that's in front of you, that blue one. If it's a different color, that's someone else's Bible. Don't take that one. But if it's a blue one, that's from the brook. We want you to have it if you don't own a Bible. You know, a few years ago, before I read our text for today, Facebook came out with this 3D imaging uh, when you post a picture. You notice that one? So you, you can just kind of scroll around and you see the whole three-dimensional view of an area, which is really cool, by the way, because normally a snapshot is limited. This is true when you go house hunting. They have three-dimensional views. Even if you buy theater tickets, you can, get to, you can see online where your seat will be so you can understand how well you'll see the stage. What we're going to do today, we're going to take that 3D image of money in the Bible and look more broadly on what God wants us to do and how he wants us to see it, all right? So would you stand to your feet? As we read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 17. This is what God's word tells us. It's actually the last part of verse 2. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit. He understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. He's going in here, right? Imagine, hear this, that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness without con- with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Can you say temptation? Temptation. Fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the, tr- from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Jump down to verse 17. As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that your Holy Spirit would empower me, God, that you would speak to me and through me. For all of us, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, I pray that we would leave encouraged, sharpened, rebuked, built up, whatever's needed, but ultimately all of it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The book of 1 Timothy, let me give you a backdrop right quick, is written by a man by the name of Paul who used to be a persecutor of the church who then met Jesus 
and gave his life to Jesus and for the rest of his life devoted it to spreading the good news of Jesus throughout the Roman Empire. He writes this letter to his young protege by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And what Paul is doing, he's saying, hey, all, right, all right, Timothy, I'm going to equip you with what you need to know to be an effective pastor. He says, the things I teach you then, I need you to teach others. Well, among those things, Paul's constantly warning Timothy against different kinds of false teachers. They were just as abundant then as they are in our own day. But what he ultimately says, the thing that concerns him the most about the false teachers in the city of Ephesus is how they take the Christian faith and twist it for their own benefits. Look what he says there in verse 5 that we read earlier. He says, these people are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. These people have come to believe that they can leverage the Christian faith to make more money for themselves. We've heard that before, haven't we? And he's saying this is a problem because that's not consistent with what the Bible teaches. He says they're imagining this. They're imagining this is what God wants for them. Now, I find it quite interesting that it's the temptations that said it's just my imagination running away with me. And the money is a temptation that causes your imagination to run away with you. This is what happens. This is what happened to the false teachers in Timothy's day. And Paul's like, look, this is not okay for them to think that they can corrupt the truths of the Christian faith to make an extra buck for themselves. But right when he says that, he says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So you're like, all right, hold up, hold up, hold up. You just said, Paul, that godliness is not a means for gain. And then he said, but godliness with contentment is a means for great gain. Like, which one is it? This seems a bit inconsistent. Maybe it seems like you're saying two things at the same time. You know, these are the kind of things that oftentimes people might say, the Bible's got contradictions in it. Now, Paul's not going to contradict himself in the same breath. God's not going to contradict himself because God can't lie. So we begin with the posture of, all right, what do you mean here, God? What do we need to understand? What Paul's about to do is give us a wider, a 3D, a panoramic understanding of godliness and contentment and even more so gain or profit. You see, he's saying wealth is not just, or godliness is not there to make us wealthy, but godliness does have profit. It does have gain and advantage, but the gain is actually to be content. You see, when we follow Jesus, Paul's saying, we then are able to become content with all that God has provided for us, and that actually is the profit you get. It is a releasing and freeing thing to be content, isn't it? And it is horrible to be discontent. And so Paul is like, look, godliness actually with contentment is great gain. It's not a means to great gain, but the contentment is the gain you get. And he goes on to say, well, this is the reason why. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. He's like, look at here. Everything you own was given to you. Because you came in naked, owning nothing. Everything that's been given to you, consider the good things as gifts from God. By the way, though, when you die, none of it's going with you. So then why be all worked up about things you didn't come in with and things you can't leave with? One thing that's important here, sometimes we think, well, but, but the financial 
prosperity is God's blessing on my life. But why, why would you say that? Yeah, there are verses that may affirm that, but there's also verses that show us that financial prosperity can also be a curse on your life. Because when we begin to understand that financial prosperity equates the fruit of blessing because of godliness, we're falling into the same trap as the false teachers. Godliness is a means to wealth. Honestly, that's the same teaching that begins to cause us to think that our nation is blessed financially because of our so-called Christian heritage. But is that true? See, because we're wealthy as a country doesn't mean it's God's blessing. It could be. But it may not be. We have to understand this. Paul's saying the principle here is contentment. We're content with what? He says we, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. We've got all that we need. You see, contentment is not being self-sufficient. That's what our world is telling us. To see money as a means to make you self-sufficient so you don't need anyone else anymore. You've you got to cut off the relationships that you were dependent on financially, which is true, but that doesn't equate contentment. Contentment is not self-sufficiency, but it's Christ-sufficiency. It's saying, Jesus, if I've got you, I've got everything that I need. When we view money that way, it changes everything, fam. It is a game changer. John D. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men in the history of our nation, after he died, someone asked his accountant, Man, how much, how much did he leave behind? And his accountant replied, all of it. <laughs> he didn't take any of it with him. See, this is the starting point of gaining perspective. You brought nothing in. Not taking anything out. And everything you have, consider as God's gift. God, give me contentment. When we gain the right perspective now, we're able to see clear, clearly what the wrong perspective can do, the outcome of it, and then the outcome of the right perspective. Let's take a look at what he says about the outcome of the wrong perspective. If we, if we look at money and begin to say, but I still need that, I want that, I'm going to serve that, this is what it's going to do to you. Look in verse 9. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. They fall into temptation. It's like the idea of a pit. You might say, oh, we purchased the house and the house is a money pit, right? Or I got this car, this car is a money pit. But what Paul's telling us is that money actually itself is the pit. Money is the thing that can cause us to fall into a snare, into sudden danger. Uh, the, the great Chinese war general in his book, The Art of War, Sun Tzu, he says this about war that applies, I think, well to what we see going on with money in our lives. He says, with war, the whole secret lies in confusing the enemy so that he cannot fathom our real intent. You see, what happens with us is when we see financial growth in our lives, when we receive money, it is very easy at that point for us to become consumed with it. Not realizing, though, that this is now a temptation used by the enemy of God, an enemy of our soul, to distract us from his real intent, which is your destruction. So we pursue money, but are falling into a pit. 
It's a diversion. It's something to get you off track from where God wants you to be. Paul says that many senseless and harmful desires, people plunge into them. They, they, they fall people, they call pe- cause people to fall away. Just think of all the dumb things we've done in the pursuit of money. Just think of it individually. When I was in college, we had a summer, uh, summer break. And when you're in college, you need to hustle during the summer. That, that's how you pay for the next semester. You take it one at a time, right? So I remember thinking, like, I want to make a lot of money with a little bit of effort. Have you guys been there before? All right? I saw an ad in the newspaper. We used to read, though, the hard copies back then. Um, and this newspaper said something to the effect of, you can make $20 an hour working at home with very little effort. And I was like, sign me up. Yes. So I applied for this job. And I remember my mom telling me, you know, Eric, I've heard it said, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I was like, but that's $20 an hour. And so I applied for it, and then they responded back, hey, you got in, congratulations. We now need a $70 to do a processing fee for your account. I'm like, cool, $70, I'll make that up in three hours, right, of work. I sent in $70, and then after the 70 don't make fun of me, guys. You've you done this too? Come on, don't pretend like you got it all. Come on. Then he got back saying I needed to send another 150 for something else. And my mom was like, oh, no, they didn't. I got my money back, a.k.a. my mom made the phone call. She, she is cutthroat. She will, she will hurt you. She threatened them with all kinds of threats, things I can't repeat from this pulpit. But senseless things we do in pursuit of money. It might not be that, that, that dumb for you, but maybe it's cheating on a, on a work test for that raise or promotion. Maybe it's tweaking our resume to make it sound better and put false accomplishments on there. Maybe some of the senseless things we do is get into debt, paying for things with money we don't have. I realize there are some complexities with that, but by and large, we're we're, we're living beyond our means. That's a harmful desire that plunges us into ruin. Maybe it's petty theft. Maybe it's complex embezzlement you're tempted to, to cheat on your taxes. I know that season's coming. I know we're looking for every way around, every every way to dodge certain things, but when we go outside of the law, it's senseless. You know, when you work with food coloring, one drop will change a whole batch of dough. And one little compromise can lead into another and to another and plunge you into ruin. We've all felt the urge to want more, family. We've all felt it. But when we have the right perspective, we start seeing this as, wait, 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 I, I came in naked, I'm leaving naked. Why am I going to make myself miserable to pursue something that I can't take with me? Paul sums it up here in verse 10. He says, for the love of money is the root of all sorts, all kinds of evil. Now, this verse has been twisted and all kinds of things happen to it. He's not saying money is the root of all kinds of evil. He says the love of money. So the Bible doesn't teach that money is inherently wrong. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's the love of money. 
is a root, a root. It's not the only root, it's one of many roots of all sorts, not every kind of evil. So if you picture a field of weeds, and these weeds represent different kinds of evils, pride, jealousy, envy, theft, you go down the list. If you were to pluck these weeds and look at the roots, many of these weeds, Paul is saying, have at the bottom a dollar sign. And our pursuit of the dollar sign has now caused us to have all these kind of weeds that produce evil in our lives. The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And so when you find yourself battling in life, it's proper to ask, where are my affections right now? Where is my love deviated from where God has wanted it to be? It is the love of money that will lead us astray. Even more sad in this passage is what Paul says next. He says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. This, this is the one that strikes me, and I hope it causes some chills in your bones. He says, it is through this money that some have wandered away, which is to say that there was a time they were on the right path. It's to say that there was a time they were walking the straight and narrow, but as they let themselves begin to love money more than they love God, they began to wander, became false teachers. So they were gifted people. They were teachers, maybe leaders, who began to love money. Paul gives us this stark warning, saying when your perspective is toward loving money, this will be the outcome. The outcome is ruin. I know some of us can say yes and amen. We've been there, done that. And I praise God for the ways he's redeemed many of us to see it differently. I I do want to do a quick segue, a quick quick pause here. Because I want to give you a a wider scope, even more than this passage speaks to. Um, I want us to understand what the Bible has to say about money in general. Because there are passages that are in favor, hear this, in favor of accumulating wealth. It's not wrong to be wealthy. Abraham, Father Abraham, who had many sons, he was wealthy. In fact, when he goes to rescue his son and his, uh, his nephew Lot, it says he brought 300 soldiers trained. I'm like, what's Abraham doing with the little mini army on him? How are you paying for them? Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy, thousands of cattle and animals. He was wealthy. And yes, he lost it all, but it wasn't because he loved it all. See, wealth isn't wrong. Proverbs 13, 22, you might want to write this one down. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his, children, to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So even God gives the wealth of sinners to the righteous. I have a friend of mine who got a full-ride scholarship to seminary from his uncle who was an atheist, died, left money, and found they, they were able to get that money and pay for his seminary education. All right, that's craziness. Totally unrelated, but I just love that. Proverbs 10.4. Some of y'all are like, I need some uncles like that. I need some. Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You see... Because, because money is a temptation, don't start saying, well, then I don't need to make it. I, I don't need to get me a job then. That's not biblical. Get a job, work it hard, and whatever God brings of it, use it for God's glory. But becoming rich by working hard is not wrong. Being poor because you're not working hard is. 
Proverbs 13, 11, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. See, Bible's teaching is just stay on the grind. Stay on the grind. Proverbs 20, verse 13, Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Basically saying, get to work, right? So the Bible is in favor of accumulating wealth. But it also warns against wealth. I mentioned already this rich young ruler who told Jesus, teacher, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus says, oh, he mentions all these different commandments. Love God, love neighbor, honor your father and mother. And this, this guy's probably getting really puffed up. He's like, I've done all that, Jesus. And Jesus is like, that's good. Oh, one other thing. Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And it says he went away sad. And Jesus says, how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven. That's a warning. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. I'll give one last passage. Revelation 3.17-18 Jesus says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched. You're pitiable. You're poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Jesus is like, you're saying you're rich, but you're not rich spiritually. So, so as we're seeing here, the Bible gives us both approaches. It's okay to accumulate wealth, but don't be governed by it. It's okay to have money, but don't you live for it. I think of the words of Agur in, in Proverbs 30. This is a great passage. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. He says this. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. <laughs> Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Basically, he's saying, God, don't let me be rich or poor. Just help me be content. The outcome of the wrong perspective will lead to destruction. But what's the outcome of our right perspective? Well, let's look down at verse 17. I'm going to move here a little bit quicker. This is what Paul says. He says, as for the rich in the present age, and some of you are like, well, that ain't me. That's not me. I'm not the rich. Do you have what you need for food? Have you shelter? Do you have more than that? Well, then you've got more than the basics. We're far richer than we like to say. So let's not spend so much time trying to, fit, try to uh, argue why we're not the rich and argue how we can apply God's word. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, the outcome of the righteous, the outcome of the right perspective is not putting your hope in riches. See, money can pull you from poverty of resource, but it cannot pull you from poverty of spirit. Money can pull you from bankruptcy in the courts, 
but it cannot pull you from spiritual bankruptcy. Money can pay your financial debts, but it cannot cancel your debt before God, family. Where will you hope? See, we are the poor, but the poor of spirit. We are beggars before our God. And God in his generosity offers us the riches of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Jesus went to that cross and he paid for our sin. That cost was high. There was a transaction that occurred. He took our sin and in exchange gave us his righteousness. He took our rags and gave us his riches. He did what we could not do. And he said, but I'm broke. And God's like, that's what I need, brokenness. The the psalmist says, a broken and contrite spirit I will not despise. Broke people have their debts forgiven before God. We can clap to God for that one. So where will your hope lie? As that song says, Jesus paid it all, therefore all to him I owe. Not to earn it, but as a response that comes from it. And so what's his response? Paul says this. He says, tell those who have means, tell those who are wealthy to hope in God. In verse 18, he says, they ought to do good. Be rich in good works. So you want to be rich? Be rich in good works. How about that one? Let let it be said that you are rolling high when it comes to good works. That you are cashing those checks of good works for God's glory. Let that be said of us. More so, he says this, thus story, or sorry, before in verse uh, 18, they are to do, to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. To be ready to share. You see, family, when we hold on our money, we begin to trust in it. Yes, create a savings. Yes, provide an inheritance. Yes, invest. But don't hold on to it for dear life. Let your trust be in God. I remember... First year before starting uh, my, my, my seminary program, Eric and I had saved up money for a year. Uh, we, we had put all the stuff in savings. And I'll never forget, I've told you guys this before, but when we wrote that first check for my first semester of school, which all but erased our savings account, I passed that check to the financial aid department, and with that check went a lot of my own personal security. I became, I felt very vulnerable. We felt very vulnerable But in that moment, God's whispering in our ears, are you trusting me to care for you? Are you trusting me? You see, at the end of the day, we hold it loosely. We're to be rich with good works, to be generous, to share among others. Because when we do that, we are storing up for ourselves treasures that go beyond this life. See, see, when we invest in this life in the now, we're missing out because we're not saving for the future. And by future, I mean beyond this life. Send your treasure ahead of you and meet it when you die. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what it comes down to. Treasuring Jesus more. Treasuring heaven, all the riches there. And the riches of heaven, by the way, are not golden streets but it's God himself. So we, we, we took this 3D picture here to get the right perspective, to see that money is a tool that God has given us to invest in his kingdom work. 
It's not something that's to rule over our lives, but it's something to be used for God and his glory. It's meant to be eternally invested, not temporarily protected, family. Financial contentment is damaging to the strategy of Satan. Hear this. See, when we are content financially, that means we are being more willing to be generous. And the more generous the church is, the more that subverts Satan's diabolical design. You see, when we're generous, fueled by the gospel, orphans find homes. When we're generous, the hungry are filled. The naked are clothed. Missionaries are mobilized. Churches are planted. The lost hear of Jesus. Churches equip laborers. When we're generous... Cities are changed. Testimonies are raised. Sinners get saved. And God gets praised because through our generosity, the gospel advances and God gets all the glory for it. So where will we store up our treasures, fam? The tighter we hold on to money, the tighter you hold on to misery. But the tighter you hold on to heaven, the more loosely you hold on to earth. Family, let's consider all that God has given us and say, God, I want to use this all for your glory. I want to be wise. I want to be shrewd. I want to be thoughtful. But Lord, don't let money govern my life. I don't know where you're at in the spectrum financially. But all of us have to choose this day whom we serve. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. My prayer is that we would end, not just today, but throughout this series and say, God, I want to loosen my grip on that and tighten my grip on you in all that I do. Let's pray, church. Oh, Lord. I think we can all confess how much of a love-hate relationship we have with money. We need it to eat, to pay our mortgage and rent, Pay off school bills, utility bills, car notes. We need money, but we don't want to be ruled by money. And Lord, we feel sometimes the more we have, the, the better off we'll be, but we know that's not always true either. And so God, just help us know how to walk this fine line of, of, of using every dime you've entrusted to us to be thoughtful, to be wise, to be generous to be diligent, but to not to be a slave to it. Oh God, we, we thank you just for the riches you've given to us, not just in this life, but above all through Jesus. I lift up, Lord, any brother or sister who's here today who is discouraged and needs to be reminded of the riches of their inheritance in Jesus, would you remind them today? God, we do pray you provide for our financial needs. I know there are many here who are just paycheck to paycheck struggling God would you just meet them in this place let them be content let them rest in you and let them trust that you'll provide let them remain fervent in their work God I also lift up that man or woman that youth who's here who's never put their faith in Jesus and maybe money is their God maybe self is their God maybe their ambition is their God and Lord I pray that they'll come to understand that these things will never satisfy them 
pray that they would surrender their lives to you, that they repent of their sins, they turn away, saying, God, I need you, I need your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for me, he rose for me, and I want to follow you. God, I pray you would cause faith to rise up in this place today. Use us, God. Do great things in the city of Chicago that we love, in this world that we love. God, use us. May the church make a difference in the culture around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's rise to our feet, church, as we sing our final, our closing song. A prayer team, would you please make your way forward? We want to give an opportunity for those who feel pricked in heart in some way that God is just, he's pressed on you. Um, please, please, let, let our prayer team pray over you, pray for you. And let's sing this last song as a true prayer for the depths of who we are. God, that's the prayer of our heart. God, we just want to lay ourselves before you, Lord. God, we, we confess how we hold on tightly to things that we shouldn't. And, and so, Father, we pray your spirit would give us wisdom. You would guide our steps. Lord, lead us in your way, oh, Lord. Let us walk in your truth. So, Father, uh, bless us, God. Bless us with this help. Bless us with this, this hope, this, this strength, this wisdom, God, that can only come from you. Oh, Father, we love you. We praise you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the good news of Jesus. And we want to go out this week with your strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before, amen, you can give God a hand clap. Yeah. Before we're dismissed, um, I just really want to urge you all to join us for our, our vision, our 2020 vision meeting that's happening right after service in about 10 minutes downstairs, 15 minutes, something like that. We will have a, a, a light lunch. Um, it'll be done by 2 o'clock, probably sooner. But we just really want to share with you some reminders of things God did last year. I mean, we're going to have a little mini, mini praise uh, time down there. It's going to be sweet to reflect. And we're going to look at what God's going to, we believe God's calling us to do in the year ahead. Um, we're going to ask him for some big things, church. Yeah, we're going to ask him for some big things. And so you, you are a part of that, though. You are a part of that. So if the brook is your home, please come on out. If you're part of the covenant family, you need to be there. And if you're visiting and you say, hey, I want to get a taste of it, come on by. Even if it's your first, second, third time here, come on through. No, no, there's no harm in doing that. And uh, we look forward to, to joining with you. All right. I want to pronounce God's blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you, church. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is God's blessing for you. You are dismissed. We'll see you downstairs.